Our first uh, sermon reading today comes from Exodus 2, 23-25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of the slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew, knew. Our next reading is from Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Our sermon text is from Lamentations. This is chapter five. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have been given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gates. The young men, their music. The joys of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from her head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Uh, Today we are concluding our series on lamentations for uh, our, our series on lamentations for our Lament for Lent series. Uh, so Lent is a time in the church uh, that, so, in, that we in some way participate in the story of the Passion. As we prepare for Easter Sunday, it's important for us to remember that the way to Easter Sunday is through the cross. We should not be so quick to jump ahead to the happy ending because loss, grief, and suffering is very much a part of the human experience. And one of, the, uh, one of the things that we've been looking at is how the Old Testament actually gives voice to these experiences in a type of literature called lament. 
Uh, no book more so than Lamentations, which was written soon after the greatest tragedy in Israel's history, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple by the Babylonian army. And lament, this type of literature is an attempt to acknowledge, it's an attempt to wrestle with, it's, a, it's an attempt to struggle with the difficult parts of life. Uh, the Jewish tradition actually incorporates lament several ways into their worship. Uh, many of the Psalms are lament songs. I keep uh, throwing out the statistic about a third of the Psalms are lament songs. Uh, every year, uh, the Jewish people observe a day called Tisha B'Av, which translates to the ninth of Av. Av is a month on the Jewish calendar. It's, uh, it's around July or August. And according to tradition, it was on the ninth of Av that the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and the second temple was destroyed by the Romans. So Tishbab is a time of, of mourning, of grieving, not just for those events, but for all the tragedies uh, that have befallen the Jewish people up and in, including the Holocaust. It's also a time of, of personal mourning for uh, individual tragedy. And it is during Tisha B'Av that the book of Lamentations is read as part of the observance of this solemn day. And I think there is a great wisdom to this because too often we want our happy ending. We want an explanation. We want a hopeful thread that ties everything together. However, for many, that is just simply not how life has worked out for them. And I think if we are going to be a community that aspires to honesty and truth, we need language. We need a strategy. We need to face the reality. And that's exactly what this book gives us. So think back to the story of Job. You all know the story of Job. Uh, Job is a righteous man who is inflicted by all these terrible calamities. Now, the interesting thing is the majority of that book is his three friends and this other guy trying to provide Job with an explanation and a logic to help Job understand what has befallen him. But the genius of the book of Job is that all these explanations fall flat. Uh, it's only until Job confronts God in anger and doubt uh, that God's, and God's response is that Job's friends have not spoken what is right, but Job has. So with all these ideas in mind, what I want to do is look at this final and really a pretty difficult chapter in the book of Lamentations. Uh, but we also need to keep in mind the two other keys that I've been uh, going uh, with, uh, with uh, to understanding Lamentations. So first, uh, each of the five points of Lamentations are made of multiple voices. And each of those voices represents different viewpoints. And they're even in conversation with one another. There's a dialogue. And it's absolutely brilliant because what Lamentations does is it creates a complete picture of the suffering and tragedy. It allows us to view this situation from multiple in, uh, perspectives. Uh, like any great art, Lamentations reveals to us simply uh, by more than simply giving us facts. We experience, we actually feel the suffering along with the different voices. I mean, you hear when I read this every week, this really expressive language. Just a, you know, my skin is as hot as an oven. I don't know what that feels like, but man, that sounds bad. Um, 
we experience the suffering uh, along with these voices. And that's why this book is written in poetry. It's, it's really the only art form. It's the perfect form because it uses this descriptive and exalted language because it needs us to feel and experience this. We don't just read about a tragedy. We share in it in a way. And second, these poems all have a structure to them. Uh, If you'll remember, chapter 1 and 2 were written in the form of an acrostic, in which each verse begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, Last week, we looked at chapter 3. And in that chapter, the acrostic was actually intensified. Rather than each verse beginning with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each line began with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we were making the point that that was intentional. There was an intensification. Uh, And that's important to understand chapter 3. Because the message of chapter 3 is just really intensified. Now, we're going to skip chapter 4. Frankly, because it's really hard to work through uh, Lamentations anyway. But uh, we're going to skip chapter 4. But the same acrostic pattern that was in chapter 1 and 2 was in chapter 4. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we get to chapter 5, we're kind of looking for that same pattern. We're like, okay, we expect an acrostic again. Only here's the thing. We don't get it. Chapter 5 is not an acrostic. The pattern deviates from what we expected. And in fact, it's broken down completely. And of course, that means something. This lack of pattern organization uh, seems to indicate that all attempts to contain and organize their grief, that this, uh, all the pain that this community has experienced has basically failed. And the effect of this loss of pattern is really to reveal a community that has been exhausted to the point where they can no longer hold it together. Things fall apart. The center does not hold. Their lives have become chaotic formless and out of control and that's what we're supposed to get by seeing the loss of this pattern now that's what we learned from the pattern what about the voice what voice do we hear in the poem so if you remember in chapter one uh we heard from uh, a voice we called daughter zion and a narrator in chapter three we hear from a soldier now Whose voice do we hear in chapter 5? Well, if we look at the, the first verse of chapter 5, uh, the verse reads, uh, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Our homes to foreigners. So notice the pronouns. What pronouns do you have here? They're all in the first person plural. Uh, see kids grammar is important um so what we have in chapter five are multiple voices this is actually a a collective uh voice here uh the voice here is not the narrator it's not dr daughter zion it's not the soldiers here we have the voice of the community as a whole so if we if we kind of take these two right so the the keys to understanding lamentations are looking for the patterns and looking for the voice if we look about what's going on here we can kind of see that in conjunction with the with this this patternless chapter the complaints of this community are kind of all over the place what we hear is really a cacophony of voices we have this rapid fire succession of, of the different voices in the community expressing the different tragedies that have been inflicted upon him. 
Uh, you know, we have the humiliation of their land that's now in the hands of outsiders. We have economic exploitation. We have, uh, you know, there's just loss of joy, uh, subservience to their enemies. You know, we have poor government, starvation, and rape. They're all listed in this litany of suffering that the community is experiencing. Uh, you know, I'm, I think uh, chapter, you know, verse 18, uh, the, the city lies desolate and jackals prowl over it. You know, uh, this is, um, the, this is, this is kind of what everybody's just uh, experiencing and it's not really given any weight to one particular person. It's just like throwing it out there. So, so, you know, once again, we think about how that pattern's broken down and then just all these like kind of la- like loud voices crying out. But, uh, what's interesting is they are united in what they want. Uh, what the community wants is their voices to be heard and their suffering witness. They're, they're suffering witness. They want acknowledgement of what is happening. Uh, some of you uh, may be familiar with the story of Emmett Teal. Uh, if you're not familiar with Emmett Teal, it, it, it's a really sad story. He was a 14-year-old African-American boy uh, living in Chicago. And he went to visit some family in Mississippi for the summer. And allegedly, um, although it's highly disputed what happened, he whistled at a white woman who ran a grocery store in town. Uh, the result of whatever happened or not happened was the woman's husband, along with other members of the family, uh, beat, mutilated, shot him, and then threw his dead body into the Tallahatchie River. That was in 1955. Uh, And unfortunately, the sad thing was that lynchings of this sort happened all over uh, the Jim Crow South uh, in the 50 years before. It had been going on for years. And it's really doubtful Uh, that Emmett Teal would have been anything other than just one more sad headline, except for what happened next. You see, Emmett Teal's mother um, refused to have a closed casket ceremony. She wanted everyone to know what had been done to her son. You see, his mother wanted this tragedy to be seen and witnessed and experienced. And as a result, Emmett Teal's death became an important rallying point of the civil rights movement. It shocked people out of their complacency and their neutrality. With the voice of the community and what Emmett Teal's mother understood is that there is an importance in calling out and voicing injustice and suffering and tragedy. See, we want to hide it. But what Lamentations teaches us And what the cross teaches us is that grief, brokenness, and the tragedy of this world needs to be displayed. It needs to be seen and heard. It needs to be witnessed and acknowledged. Thus was it written, and thus was it necessary that Christ must suffer and die. But yet... Amid all the noise and chaos of these multiple voices and cries, there is some order. Uh, There is, uh, the community is clear what they want. We're told in verse 1 that the community addresses each of their uh, cries to Yahweh, to the Lord. Verse 1 says, remember Yahweh what has befallen us. Look and see your disgrace. Those are all imperative verbs. 
grammar. So what the community is doing is they're demanding, they're insisting, they're pleading, they're urging that Yahweh remember to look, to see, to notice. And you notice it's Yahweh. It's the personal name of God that they use here. Now, the interesting thing is that if you are Jewish and you read this first verse, these words are, are similar to words you know very well. Okay, so here it comes. For a thousand, okay, 10,000 resurrection points if anybody gets this right. Yeah, I know, I'm up in the game. Does anybody remember why there are four cups of wine at the Seder? Does anybody remember that? So there's four cups of wine, anybody? So, so the answer is Exodus 2, 24 through 25. So the, the set of verses we read earlier. God heard the groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people and God knew. Okay, so there's four verbs there. So in response to the Hebrew slaves suffering under bondage in Egypt, God's response with four verbs. Hear, remember, see, and know. And those four verbs are, are the reason that the Seder consists of the four cups of wine. <clears throat> so if you look here in Lamentations, essentially what the, the community wants is for God to know, to pay attention, to hear, to look, to remember his covenant with his people, just as he did with their ancestors, like in the Exodus. Uh, you'll notice that the community asks God to look, to remember, to pay attention, because the community wants God to know their suffering, okay? Just like in Exodus. That's exactly uh, what the soldier had said to the community in chapter 3. We need to confess before God. We need him to see us. And the soldier was found hope in the character of God. Uh, particularly uh, the steadfast love and mercy. In Hebrew, you know, we talked about those words, hesed and rakam. Uh, now, here we have the community following the soldier's advice and, and coming before God and crying out. So when the sinner is broken and hopelessness surrounds the community, there's only one thing to do. And, you know, it's really interesting here. You know, there's been a debate about, uh, you know, whose fault is whose. But, you know, once we get to this chapter, it no longer matters. No one's really looking for reversal. Uh, no one's even really longing for justice so much. The only thing the community can do is cry out to God and hope he hears them. And there's a desperation about this. As much as the community is fractured and broken, exhausted and spent, they believe one fact. And that's that Yahweh reigns. Look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. And this verse actually starts with this direct appeal to God. It uses like the pronoun you. Uh, you know, in Hebrew, the pronouns are usually attached to the verbs, kind of like in Spanish or Latin. Uh, but an independent pronoun that's used here means that there's like this real emphasis. There's this real di direct appeal to God to hear their cries. Um, there's an emphasis. However, that... Uh, you know, really desperation and that longing and that emphasis and that like we're at the end of our rope and this is the only thing we can do uh, almost uh, makes it more painful because they know God can act. They know that God has acted, but 
the problem is they are far from certain if God will act. And so the dangerous and painful question that the community is facing here is, does God still hear their cries? Does God still care? Look at verse 21. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Now, I think if this, if this book ended right there, we could be good. We could be satisfied. We would look at this outcry of, rest, of restoration and we would acknowledge their faith. Maybe we would develop some kind of lesson about having hope against all evidence. We might say that the people are angry and suffering and that is tragic, but they have maintained their faith in God and found hope. And that is something we all need to remember in the dark hours of our life. But the problem is, that's not how this book ends. Look at the last verse. Unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Now that's a much less hopeful ending. Uh, one commentator I read said you can v- divide Lamentations into, into Lamentations 5 into two parts. The first part is the community describing what God should see. And the second part is the community uh, uh, is, is uh, what the community expressing their hope that God should do something, but probably will not. It is chilling. It's so chilling, in fact, and it's upsetting that some translations actually flip the order of these verses. So the question then is, what are we supposed to make of such an inning? Now, I thought about approaching this in many different ways. But, uh, you know, uh, pop culture works. Uh, so many of you have had the experience a few years ago, ago of going to see the movie Avengers <laughs> Infinity War. Does anybody remember going to see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mason told me I was uh, the, the spoiler alert has long since passed. <laughs> Okay, so if you went to this movie, you sat through like this really long three-hour movie, and then it ends with what? The snap, right? Thanos had finally gathered ultimate power to himself, and despite every hero in the Marvel Universe trying to stop him, he prevails, and he carries out the one thing that he wants to do, the extinction of half of all the life in the universe. And we watch it happen at the end of this movie. He snaps his fingers, people begin to dissolve, and then the movie ends. And that's it. Now, if you watched the movie in the theater, if you actually, like, were there, uh, you probably remember that people in the audience, there was at least one person in the audience that was very upset and expressive. (laughs) People were just, like, really sad and confused. And, and even though most people knew there was this sequel coming, you know, uh, it was going to be a year before it was going to be released. And really the bold choice that the movie made was to let the audience just sit there with the uncertainty and despair. And it was very powerful. I can imagine like when the network executives found out what they were going to do, they were probably like, no, you cannot do this. Um, but it was very powerful. Uh, it, you know, people were like really touched in a way, like uh, in a way, you know, movies normally don't move people. And it's kind of like this, that Lamentations ends. It kind of ends on the snap. Now, like you, 
I also want this hopeful, happy message uh, at the end of the book. And I'm not at all happy that this is the text that I'm charged as the pastor to deliver a message to you. And I've wrestled a lot with how I should present it. What, what should I do here? And ultimately, I've come up with what I want to do today. And that's to just leave you with the landing exactly as Lamentations does. I think I do a disservice to Lamentations if I don't. And this is not the Bible's last word. You know, hear me out. But it is the word that Lamentations leaves us with. Because it refuses to move on. And it kind of forces us to just deal with it. Uh, It refuses to conclude. It refuses to let us move on from lament to praise. It doesn't let us escape the pain and suffering of their tragedy so easily. Thus it was written, and thus it was necessary, that Christ must suffer and die. And we've heard from a lot of different voices. We've heard from daughter Zion. We've heard from the narrator. We've heard from the soldier and the community. And they have all testified in their own way to their pain, in their own words, seen through their own eyes. In a way, they've all been allowed to be seen and heard. There's been no judgment upon them. They've just been expressed. And however, there is one voice that we don't hear. It's really the voice we want to hear most of all. That's God's voice. It's the one voice each of these speakers also longs to hear, but do not. And it's pretty shocking. And I'm sure the person who composed this book must have known that. It was a conscious choice to leave God's voice out. However, I think the fact of the matter is there's a real honesty about it. The ending of Lamentation is blatant in its truth. it, It tells us we can't deny sorrow. It doesn't try to provide us with an easy answer doesn't give us any sentimental platitudes. It doesn't give us theological escapism. It doesn't give us any kind of pious cliche or a premature closure. And all of us that have experienced suffering and grief, I, I think there's something that uh, about that that like we appreciate. Uh, how many times have you been told in your pain and your tragedy something that you just want to slap the heck out of someone for saying? Like, it's not that easy. Lamentations leaves the grief and pain of these people expose. You know, any word from God would just totally overwhelm that. And we would move on too quickly past it. And we would do what we often do when we encounter the brokenness of the world. We would deny its reality with some kind of easy answer, quick solution about everything happening for a reason or the greater good. And I think that's why we need lamentations. We need this unhappy ending. We need it to give voice to those in history who have been forgotten. We need to give voice to those who have experienced the dark night of the soul. We do no service to those who are hurting and suffering to proclaim otherwise, to pretend that the world is a a nicer place than it is. So um, I'm a big fan of Johnny Cash, okay? I love Johnny Cash. And some of my earliest memories, I remember my father playing Johnny Cash albums on her record player. My mom was actually opposed to this. She did not want me being exposed to such music. But some of you know that one of the things Johnny Cash is famous for is he always wore black. Okay, And he even wrote a song about why he did that. 
see, Johnny Cash all dressing in black is kind of a rebellion against the stagnant status quo. And in his song, he says he wears black in solidarity for all those who have been left out. Uh, prisoners, lonely older people, the poor, uh, people who died fighting for vain causes. And the reason he does so, the reason he wears black and he identifies with them is because he wants to be a witness to the brokenness of the world. And I think that is prophetic. It's, it's, it's really part of the church's responsibility. You know, if we are to be prophetic, that is part of what we do. That's what the prophets did. They held up the brokenness that people were too easily uh, going to pass by. Because the fact of the matter is, the world is broken. And it's fallen. And we serve no one by acting otherwise. Just like Peter and the disciples, we don't understand why Christ must suffer and die. And yet Christ says over and over again that it must be so. And we don't understand why the way to resurrection has to go through something as brutal as the cross. We want to sanitize it. We want to take away the horror of it. But the book of Lamentations tells us we must not do that. We must let it stand. Just as we must let the ending of Lamentations stand. Perhaps the hardest words in the gospel are exactly what Jesus cries out on the cross. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Because Christ at that moment feels the same loneliness and abandonment and uncertainty. And we don't understand it, but you know who does understand it? Maybe not a lot of us uh, when things are going well, but maybe when things aren't going well, we understand it. The voices at the end of Lamentations understand it well. Thus it was written, and thus it was necessary that Christ should suffer and die. You know, the message of the cross is that not only does God see, not only does he pay attention to, but God also knows. And knows not in some abstract or academic way, but on an experiential level. God knows. That is why Christ must suffer and die. There's a time to preach hope in a time of despair. There's a time to talk about faith. There's a time to, to, to make that message of Lamentations out to be what we want it to be with the happy ending. However, there's also, I think, a time to refuse denial and to tell the truth. Tragedy is real. And Lamentations utters this unthinkable reality. And the Bible allows it here to stand witness just as we now, as Christ followers, stand witness to the cross. Amen.